afternoon. And all that good stuff. If you got your Bibles, go to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 19. Start at verse 3. Exodus 19, 3. Now let us pray. <clears throat> Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you. And we praise you, God, for you are God, a good God, a holy God, an awesome God. Help us to focus on you, to meditate on you, Father God, and to truly learn of you. We need you, God. Help us to never forget it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Exodus chapter 19. Starting at verse 3, it says, And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mouth, and saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders and of the people and laid before their faces all the words which the Lord commanded him. All right, so we're continuing in this same little piece. And eventually we're going to read the whole thing and put it all together. <clears throat> but Moses, in this piece, in the commissioning of the children of Israel, to be the people of God. He bullet points three things. Or three aspects of who they are. And we've been taking them. And tying them together. And trying to get an understanding of who we're supposed to be. So we talked about them being a peculiar treasure. God's special chosen people. His choice jewels. Special unto him. And last week we talked about them being a peculiar, uh, kingdom of priests. And the third one he points and highlights. That they should be as a holy nation. So not only are they a special people, a peculiar people, they are a kingdom of priests, and he specifies them that they are a holy nation. So they're a separated group of people, collective together for God, a holy nation. Go to First Peter chapter 2, and Peter picks up the same thing and carries it forward and applies it to us, the people of God. First Peter chapter two, verse five. Say so you also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore it is contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone elect precious and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded unto you. Therefore, which believe he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now are the people of God which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. 
So this is Peter pretty much quoting the same commission that God gave to Moses. And he pulled these things together to identify the people of God. So we, as the continuation of God's plan, are now collected in this body as the chosen nation. I mean, a holy nation, God's chosen people. And every time I, I like to think about this, I think about the, the concepts that float nowadays when people are talking about uh, all this social justice and, and being woke and all that other stuff. And, and the deep people want to tell you that ethnicity is a big thing. Like I said, we, we, we got our, everybody has their own ethnicity. And, and that's a big marker of your identity. You need to embrace your ethnicity. But us, in the eyes of God, we are holy ethnos. That our ethnicity is God's holy people. This is who we are. This is our identity. So just as proud as you can be of being Latino, Hispanic, Black, Asian, whatever it is that people get crunk about, we should be crunk about being God's holy people. This is our ethnicity. So like people ask you, what's your race? I'm holy. <laughs> because that's what he said that the people of God are. God's holy nation. God's holy ethnos. That we are a generation of people created unto God as a holy people. So this is who we are. God had a plan from the beginning of creation to collect the people together. And we are the fulfillment of that work. So we, what we're going to do is do a little Bible study. And track a couple things through the scripture. To try to reach this conclusion that we can understand who we are. and What does it mean a little bit for us to be collected into Christ as his holy people. Go to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis one twenty six. Genesis one twenty six. So Genesis one <clears throat> twenty six, and what we're gonna do is gonna take a little theme. Right? This is a thematic Bible study. This is one way you study your scriptures, and we're gonna try to pick up on a theme here. So in Genesis one twenty six, read it for me. You got your microphone. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. 3.27. So God created man in his own image and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Keep going. And God blessed them and said unto, and said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Alright, so this is the commission of Adam as the man of God. So, when God started creation, one man, one woman, and he crowned them and blessed them, and he told them, you need to have dominion over pretty much everything, And he told them to be fruitful and to multiply. Now let's get this in our mind. Let's track a little bit. Go down an imaginary road. If Adam would have been faithful in his commission, perfect man, 
in all righteousness, expressing the full image of God. And if he hath filled the earth without fall, how many nations do you think would have been on the earth? One. Because there would have been no division. Because division came via sin and separation. So if Adam would have fulfilled his commission to be God's vicar here on earth, the image of God, to fill the earth and replenish it, to have dominion and subdue it, and fill out the blessing that God blessed him with, there would have been one nation on earth, and all nations would have been under this one man, the head of all humanity, Adam himself. And this was God's original plan, to take a man, bless this man, and allow this man to extend that blessing throughout the whole nation. But did Adam fulfill his commission? Not quite. Adam fell, and from the fall of Adam, the next thing we see is people dying, and people dying, and people dying, all the way until we get to Genesis chapter 5 and 6, and God talking about the, the, the evil on the earth is so great, he finna kill everybody. Because all the violence that fills the earth. So disunity and discontinuity came from the fall of Adam, but God's original plan was through blessing this man that all the nations would grow up under this one man, and this man was supposed to have dominion. Now go to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. Starting at verse 1. Genesis chapter 9, starting at verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moves upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall you, shall you not eat? And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require require it. And at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. Whoso sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. And you be ye fruitful and multiply. Multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. All right. So now this is Noah. Noah just getting off the boat. All humanity, other than Noah and his three sons and their wives, has been destroyed. But do you notice God's recommissioning? So once he relieves Noah from the boat and sends him back out into the world, the first thing he does is he blesses him and says what? Be fruitful and multiply. Replenish the earth. And he gives him all this warning about the life of man and how precious the life of man is again. And he tells him, be fruitful and multiply. Replenish the earth. And he even goes in there and says, all animals going to fear you. And you're going to have dominion over them all. So the commission of Adam was picked up inside of Noah. So God has this plan that he reinstituted in Noah because it failed in Adam. So God never gave down his plan and the plan of God is for one man to be blessed 
And that this man, through being blessed by God to fill the earth, and that through his dominion, he reigns over all of the earth. But you flip over two chapters, and Noah's descendants began to fill the earth, and they rebelled against God and build a tower out of rebellion against God. So they got one part of it right. They were one people, one nation, with one language, moving and operating in one purpose. But they moved and operated in rebellion against God, so what did God do? Separated them. And brought judgment that brought separation that puts us in the predicament that we are in today. So the the separation that we see it's not a part of the design and the blessing of God, but it's an outwork of God's judgment. Because God's plan is therefore there to be one nation under one man who has rule and dominion over all the earth. And this is the plan that God has. And flip over a little bit to Genesis chapter 12. Because after God split up all the nations, the nations go their own way in the rebellion against God. This is where we turn to next. The whole story flips and we begin to focus away from the masses in the world to this one man named Abram. And this is what God says to Abram. Read it. Starting in verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Pause right there. So God, initially, after cursing the whole earth, separating everybody, the story picks up with this guy Adam. I mean, with this guy Abram. And you see where the story picks up. He calls Abram, and the promise and the covenant that he makes with Abram is he's going to do what? Make a great nation out of him. And he's going to be blessed. So the blessing that was commissioned upon Adam that was then transcended to Noah is now placed upon Abram. And he's saying, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make of you a great nation. So God's plan is to gather a people through one blessed man and for that one blessed man to be a head of a nation that's united under him. This is what God has been doing the whole while. And if we continue to read through the story of Abraham, God's promise is he's going to multiply Abraham. And that his descendants is going to be like the stars and like the sand on the seashore. So it's a continuation of the same theme that was in Adam. Dominion, blessing, multiplicity. Gave it to Noah. Dominion, blessing, multiplicity. Now Abram shows up on the scene and he promises him the same thing. Dominion, blessing, multiplicity. All of these have been transcended. And when we come at Sinai, we see what is supposed to be the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that was failed in Adam, that was failed in Noah. And now he's commissioned a new people. Now they are the great people that God has blessed. He has multiplied them. He tells them, when you went down into Egypt, you were few. But now I bring you out a great nation. So God's commission it seems like he got this thing on track. That what he started with Adam, what he tried to give to Noah, and what he commissioned through the covenant with Abraham is now is about to come through fulfillment. And that's the church folks said it's going to be the, the manifestation of the fruition of the promises of God. 
Go to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. In verse 1. Says, Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you, for to do them, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord your God, the God of your fathers, giveth you. And you should not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor. For all the men that followed Baal Peor, the Lord thy God, have destroyed them from among you. But you that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive, every one of you this day. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do so in the land, whether you go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great, who hath God so nigh unto them, as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? And what nation is there so great, that have statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law, which I set before you this day. Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them to thy sons and thy sons' sons. Now this is towards the end of their journey. And Moses reminding the people and preparing them. But notice a couple of things in here. Once he set them up and reminded them of what God has done for them, then he reminded them of the judgment. It's the time of Baal Peor. You can read about it in Numbers, I think it's chapter 25, where the people started committing all type of fornications with a foreign nation, and it got wild. And God brought judgment and a plague throughout the land. And the only way to stay the plague in that one was to kill everybody who was wild. It was, it was a crazy scene. God brought that up to them. That's why he said that those who, who, who transgressed in Baal Peor, they ain't with us no more. But y'all who did cleave to the Lord, you still in this day. So this was type of craziness going on. But now he transcends to show them who they are as they enter into the land. So you're going to go and you're going to possess the land that God promised to your fathers. The promise that God made to Abraham. Y'all about to fulfill it. And when you go in, these commandments that I've given you, don't alter them because they are your wisdom and their understanding. And he's saying, the people are going to say, what so great a nation is this to got laws that are so righteous as these? So the standards that God set them up and the law that he gave them, he said, this makes you distinct from every other nation. So the picture that God is commissioning in these people is that I have given you something that makes you different from every nation. And it's a wisdom and an understanding that ain't no other nation got. Then Moses get a little deeper. And he said, they're going to look to you and say, what nation is so great that the Lord their God is in the midst of them? Or it's nigh unto them. So the picture that Moses is painting of the picture that God has commissioned these people is that God separated you as a nation and he's sending you forth in the eyes of all nations and the things that are going to make you distinct is the wisdom and the righteousness of God and the very presence of God being in the midst of you as a people. This is the plan of God that his nation be his people and he dwell in the midst of his people. And this is what Israel was supposed to be. And if we track the story of the blessing all the way through, this is what God had in mind. 
Once he commissioned Adam, he placed him in the garden and that garden was the place of his presence. And we see and we understand that because when we read in Adam fell, it said he heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the cool of the garden. It was something that Adam was familiar with because he recognized it, that God was coming in. Because the garden was the place of God's presence and it was what God wanted to be a part of his creation the whole time. So God's desire is for a nation and God to be in the midst of that nation and his people to be his people. And this is the continuation that God set up at the beginning in Genesis, in Adam, and Israel was supposed to fulfill this. So the question becomes, did they do it? Like, did they fulfill the plan of God? Go to... Psalm, Psalms 33. Psalms 33, verse 12. It says, <clears throat> Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he have chosen for his own inheritance. The Lord looketh from heaven. He beholdeth all the sons of men. From the place of his habitation, he looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashioneth their hearts alike. He considereth all their works. There is no king saved by the multitude of an host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. A horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him and upon them that hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waited for the Lord. He is our hope and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in thee. So this is a psalm of David. And he picks up on this same thing. Blessed is the nation whose Lord is the God. Whose God is the Lord, rather, and the people whom he have chosen for his inheritance. So let's think about this. God chose Israel to be his blessed people. And over and over again, throughout the, the books of Moses, he referred to them as his nation, his people, his inheritance, his chosen ones. This is what God had in mind. So if you're reading this as an Israelite and you singing this song and you going getting down with David and he said, blessed is the nation whose God is Yahweh. You're like, yeah, that's us. The people who have chosen them as his inheritance, that's who we are. So we are the blessed people, the blessed ones, because God, he is our God. And then he talks about the strength of God and say he looks from his mountain. He beholds all the hearts of man. God sees and he judges everything. Talking about the kings, like there is no king that can deliver from his hand. And no matter how big your army is, no matter how strong your horses are, none of those things can save you. Then he switches a little bit and he says that his eyes is towards them that fear him. That don't just seem like just us. But we can track with it a little bit. Because we the people of God, we get, we, we fear in his name. But once you go and you study the history, it's like God is going to deliver us. Then the Assyrians come and they take you captive. That don't seem right. Because we are the nation who God's chosen. And we're supposed to be the blessed one. And he's going to deliver his blessed ones from the enemies. He ain't deliver us. What's going on? Then you hear him talk about famine. Like over and over again, famine kept coming. You got the little bit of prophet walking around talking about 
It ain't going to rain. And it don't rain for years. And everybody dies. God's supposed to deliver us from the famine. And all these plagues come and we're not being delivered. Are we the nation of God? See, this is what I will be if you just read this thing. Like, hold up, God lied. So we're supposed to be the blessed people who he's supposed to deliver. So did God end his work with them? Were they no longer his blessed nation? Did God turn his back on them? Now the obvious answer is no. But here, David extends hope for this nation being more than just those who have the descendancy of Abraham because he said his eyes is towards those that fear him. And them that hope upon his mercy. So if you have the fear of God, if you hope upon his mercy, his eyes are towards you. His favor is kin near to you. And you can be considered as a part of this blessed nation. And so as Israel go into judgment and as punishment comes, the prophets picks up on his theme. Go to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel 37. Verse 21. Ezekiel 37, 21. <clears throat> this is Ezekiel speaking during the time of the exile. Why they, they separated into Babylon. And he say unto them, Thus said the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whether they be gone, and will gather them on every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king to them all. And they shall be no more two nations. Neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms anymore at all. Neither shall they define themselves, defile themselves anymore with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will save them out of all their dwelling places wherein they have sinned. And I will cleanse them. And so shall they be my people. And I will be their God. And David, my servant, shall be king over them. And they shall have one shepherd, and they shall also walk in my judgments, and observe my statutes, and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt. And they shall dwell therein, even they, and their children, and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them, and set my sanctuary in the midst of them forever. My tabernacle also will be with them. Yea, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forever. So this is a promise of a future restoration for the children of Israel. And he's telling this to them while they're in exile. And the picture that he painted, if you pay close attention to it, is not only one of reunification. As he said, I'm going to take the two. What it was is he did a demonstrative sermon. If you read back, he got two sticks and wrote names on them. One's Ephraim and one is Judah. Then he put them together in one hand and held them up. It's like, this is what God going to do. He's going to take the two divided kingdoms and bring them together and make them one new nation and one kingdom. And his promise, a part of that is that now they're going to keep my laws. They're going to keep my statues. And I'm going to set my servant David over them and he shall be king over them. So if you track with the picture, God is bringing a restoration and he's bringing a hope and a promise of the fulfillment of the things that he set out. 
because he got one king ruling over these people. It is going to be his servant. And they're going to be one nation under this one king. This is the plan that God had from the beginning. And if you just read it, it seems a bit strange. Because by this time, David been dead for almost 500 some years. So David been dead a long time. So close to 500 years a man dead. Now God's telling you, David going to be my king over y'all. And I'm going to take him and he's going to rule over this people. Y'all going to keep these statutes and commandments. The thing that he once told Israel that separated you from the nations. Don't change them because this make you great. He's saying now they're going to keep these things. And David is going to rule over them. And he extended. He said, I'm going to make my covenant with them. I'm going to be their God and they shall be my people. And I'm going to make my sanctuary in the midst of them. Then all the nations going to know and marvel when I sank that and know that I sanctify Israel when I place my tabernacle in them. So we got a couple of things picked up. One man ruling over one nation. God is in the midst of this nation and this nation is sanctified by God. And sanctified is another word for what? Holy. So the picture that God is putting out is that he's going to make a holy nation. With one man ruling over them and his presence is going to be in the midst of this nation. So God is prophesying the continuation and the fulfillment of his plan that he started in Adam. And he said it's going to happen in Israel and y'all ain't going to turn back no more. So God's going to do an amazing thing. Go to Micah and Micah pick up on the same thing. Micah chapter four. Micah chapter 4, verse 6. Let's start at the front. Micah, start at verse 1. Micah chapter 4, verse 1. It said, But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountain, and it shall be exalted above all the hills, and the people shall flow unto it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. And to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us his way. And we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among many people. And rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares. And their spears into pruning hooks. And nations shall not lift up a sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine. And every and under his fig tree. And none shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. For all the people will walk, everyone in the name of his God. And we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, said the Lord, will I assemble her that halted. And I will gather her that is driven out. And her that I have afflicted. I will make her that halted a remnant. And her that was cast far off a strong nation. And the Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth even forevermore. This is God's promise of an end time fulfillment. And so he's painting a picture of what it's going to be like in the last days. In the last days, Zion will be exalted. Everybody's going to flow there. And a law teacher, a law giver is going to be in Zion. And he's going to teach all nations. And all the nations are going to be gathered around saying, let us go to Zion. And we're going to learn the ways of the Lord. And we're going to walk in the ways of the Lord. Do y'all see the things picking up there? You have Zion, the place that God has chosen. And you have the law of the Lord being established in this place. The thing that God gave to 
them in Deuteronomy chapter 4 to separate them from all nations. And so you got all these pictures going forth. And he said the people are going to walk in the name of the Lord their God. So all these people are going to be under God's rule and dominion. And they're going to be walking around saying themselves and identifying themselves as God's people. They're going to walk in his name. Then an amazing thing. And it's a beautiful picture. If we grasp this, we can understand who we are. And it gives us hope. Said those who were halted and those who were cast off, the ones who might have afflicted, I will bring them back and I will make the halted, the remnant of the halted, a great nation. So the picture that God having is in these last days, he's going to start gathering all his people together. And the ones who are going to make up his nation are the ones who were once disqualified. The ones who were maimed, the ones who were hurted, the ones who could not be great in any other kingdom. The ones who had no right. He said even the ones that I have afflicted. So those who were under the judgment of God. Those who were cast off. Those who had no right in any other nation to be a people. God said I'm going to bring them together. And I'm going to establish my law in them. And I'm going to make them a great nation. So this is part of God's plan. To take the unqualified. The undeserved. Those who have no rights and make them a people. Now, anybody in here think that they deserve to be a part of a great nation? You qualify then. If you have nothing that you can point in yourself, the halted, the maimed, the afflicted, those who were cast off, the ones who were not a people, now you are a great nation. And this is what you use in those times where you down and you hurt and, and, and the enemy is speaking to you and tell you how unworthy you are. So as soon as he tells you you unworthy, you can say, thank you, Jesus. Because God is making a kingdom out of who? The unworthy. He's making a kingdom out of the ones who do not have a right to be anything. This is a part of the plan of God. And when is it going to happen? In the last days. When Peter stood up in Acts chapter 2, what he told you that was? This is the last days. This is fulfillment of what was spoken by the prophet Joel when he said, in the last day, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So the last days was inaugurated in Acts chapter 2. And if you live after that, that means you get to be a part of what go on in what? The last days. What go on in the last days? God building up his kingdom out of a whole bunch of people who ain't qualified to be about nothing. So anytime that devil talk to you and tell you you ain't qualified to be about nothing, you're supposed to say what? Thank you, Jesus. That means I'm a part of a great nation. <laughs> because he's going to build his kingdom out of the halt, the maimed, the afflicted, those who were cast off. So if you can't see nothing in yourself that makes you qualify, that means you qualify. Because this is what God is doing. This is how God is building his nation. So he's reinstituting his plan and it was inaugurated in Pentecost in the last days. And we are a part of this great people. God blessed a man and God instituted the kingdom and what God's plan is to have one man ruling over one nation and God himself is in the midst of that people. And if we are a part of that nation, that means God himself is where? In the midst of us. Now just imagine this. Don't you think it would be cool if we could just get together and God be there? Like, wouldn't that be a cool thing? Like, hey, y'all, 
You know Jesus? Like, yeah, I believe in Jesus. You do too? Yeah. Then God just show up. <laughs> However, Gilly, that God just be there. That, that, that would be an awesome thing. Because God made a promise, though. His people, his nation, he going to do what with them? Build his tabernacle, build his sanctuary in the midst of that people. And that the thing that made Israel a great nation was that they was a nation that his, their God was nigh unto them. Now, if we are the continuation of this great nation, we're supposed to be a people who God is well. Right here with us. This is who we are. God dwells with you. If you are part of this great nation, because God dwells in the midst of this great nation. And God has a plan to have a nation under one man, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. That's what that's what God been doing. And we are the fulfillment of that. Now, an amazing thing go forth. Now, watch, we're going to track this. Like I said, we're going to do a little Bible study. Go to Psalms again. Psalms chapter 8. Let me try to see how the whole, whole Bible, it all flows together. Psalms chapter 8. It says in verse one, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth who has set thy glory above the heavens out of the mouth of babes and suckling. Thou hast ordained strength because of thine enemies that thou mightest steal the enemy in the avenger. When I consider the heavens and the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him and a son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. And thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. And thou hast put all things under his feet. All sheep, oxen, yea, the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. Our, o Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Now this is a beautiful thing and some people made some songs out of it that sound pretty good. But it's a question that's that we have to ask to, to expand our mind and see the flow. Now, if we pay attention to this, we see that God in this, it talks about man. Man being elevated and man having what? Dominion. This sounds like the same thing God promised in Adam. But I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever saw a man that had complete dominion over everything? You ever seen a man like that? Like, Everything bowed to him. You never met one. I ain't never seen a dude walk around either. But David said, this is what man is. You crowned him with glory. You made him a little lord in angels. And you gave him dominion over the works of your hands. Now, if we take this just on face value... That means God, David is praising God for something he ain't do. Because he crowned Adam with glory. He gave him dominion and Adam fell and did not live out that dominion. He separated Noah from all the nations and preserved him. Gave him some power and dominion. And Noah, after making an offering to the Lord, got drunk. And brought cursing on one of his grandchildren. We ain't seen that dude yet. 
That dude who truly fulfills all it is that God has destined for man. So if we just take it on faith value, that means uh, stuff is a, is a little bit off. Kilter a, a little bit. Cause David is praising God for something that man ain't quite did yet. Matter of fact, go back a little bit to Psalms chapter 1. It says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth in the, <clears throat> nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, and his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Now, this is a very common psalm, one the first one a lot of people memorize. So this blessed man is a man who don't do none of the stuff sinners do and delight day and night in the law of the Lord. Have y'all ever met a man who 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 who, who kick open the womb and, and be like this? Never did nothing any scornful person did. Never walked in no way of a sinner. Or uh, any of that stuff. Have you ever met one like that? And just all day and night, he just delights and just meditate on the scriptures. And every single thing he do, it comes to full prosperity. You ever met that man before? Who just opened up the womb and be like, Jesus, I love you. <laughs> yep. <Yeah. laughs> Most of us ain't never met that dude. And that's the truly blessed man. So if there was a man who did this from infancy into death, he would be the truly the epitome of blessing. Because if we can pick up on it at the end in our latter years and claim the blessing for us, if the dude can run it all his whole life, he would be the epitome of blessing. Go to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Let's start at verse 1. Picking up talking about the elevation of Jesus above the angels and all that. How God has exalted him and now he's speaking to us through him. It says, therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. At least at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? God also bearing the witness both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles, the gift of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. For unto the angels he hath not put in subjection the world to come whereof we speak, but one in a certain place testifies, saying, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a lower lord than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor and did set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet for in that he put all things in subjection under him he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. 
for it became him who of all things and by whom are all things and bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now, the writer of the Hebrews picks up on this theme when he talks about the exaltation of Jesus. And he takes Psalms chapter 8, but he see in Psalms chapter 8, not a failure of fulfillment in all men, but a prophecy of fulfillment that came through the life of Jesus. And what he's saying is that Jesus is the one true man, the true blessing that fulfilled all the promise of Adam, all the promise that failed in Noah, all the promise that fell through the descendants of Abraham. Jesus picked that up and he is the one true man, crowned with glory and honor. He is the blessed one that did not sit in the seat of the scornful, that did not walk in the way of the sinners, but he had the law of the Lord and shunned all the wisdom of the world. So the thing that they were supposed to be, Christ was and he fulfilled it. And since he was that, God elevated him. So all dominion and all power is in this one. So Jesus is the true fulfillment of the plan and the promise that God had in Adam. And that's why when you read the the, um, the Christmas verse, Isaiah chapter 9 and 6, talks about us, unto us a son is given. I mean, unto us a child is given, a son is born, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. So Isaiah picked up on the same theme of one as being a descendant. And he have all power on his shoulders. In his dominion, there shall be no end. And he shall sit upon the throne of David. So if you take this and you connect it with what we read, Ezekiel, Micah, talking about one being in Zion and one reigning as David upon the throne. This one king having all rule and all authority. Isaiah tells us that this one king will be a son and he going to have all rule and all authority and he going to sit upon the throne of David. And we see this fulfilled in Christ Jesus. He's the son of David, the epitome of man, the second Adam that fulfilled all the promises of God. And we are in him. So now we see the full picture of God's revelation of him having one man reigning and ruling with power and dominion, being the head of one nation and that nation being ruled by him with God's presence being in the midst. And when Jesus said, wherever he come, if you believe in him, he going to come and make his abode and who going to come with him? Y'all remember who we said going to come with him? He and the father, they're going to make their abode with you. They're going to dwell with us. They're going to tabernacle among us. So Jesus picks up the same thing and, and brings the conclusion to a whole in the church. So we are the fulfillment of what God started in Adam. Rule, power, dominion has been given unto us because we are in him under this one head in this one nation and we are the people of God the separate nation of God distinct special chosen in God holy people and as it is with the Messiah so it is with us so who he is that's who we are go to Jeremiah chapter 23 Jeremiah chapter 23 This is Jeremiah talking about the restoration of the people. In verse 5, we're going to pick up. It said, Behold, the days come, it said the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. And in his days shall be, in his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is the name whereby he shall be called, the Lord our righteousness. So Jeremiah picks up on his themes that God is going to raise unto David 
a righteous branch and he shall be a king and he's going to reign and prosper. So this king going to execute judgment and justice in the earth. So a descendant of David, elevated as king, reigning and ruling, executing the judgment and justice throughout all the earth. And it says, Judah going to dwell safely in his days. And his name shall be called the Lord our righteousness. So this king is going to be, as the deep church folks say, Yahweh sicket new. <laughs> Jehovah, that's what they said. Jehovah sicket new. So the Lord our righteousness is who this king is. That's what his name going to be. So our righteousness is the king of David. And he going to reign and rule. Now go to Jeremiah chapter 33. Chapter 33, verse 15. Well, start at 14. It said, Behold, the days come, said the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised unto the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David, and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. It sounds like the exact same prophecy that he's saying it again. But watch, so I'm going to switch. In verse 17. I mean, 16, in those days shall Judah be saved and Jerusalem shall dwell safely. And this is the name wherewith she shall be called the Lord, our righteousness. Now, in verse chapter 23, he talked about the king, the righteous branch, the one who going to reign, that going to bring peace and safety to Jerusalem. He's going to be called the Lord, our righteousness. But in this one, he says she going to be called the Lord, our righteousness. So who was the she that he talking about? Because the righteous branch is a descendant. He's a king. He's a ruler. And king is in the masculine. So it's making a reference back to the king. It will use like he did in 23. He. But here he's referencing the city. So the nation itself. Jerusalem. Once it's dwelling in peace. Under the rulership of Messiah. It's going to be called the Lord our righteousness. Because as the Messiah is. So shall his kingdom be. So the name that is applied to the king, to the ruler, is given to the nation because they are an extension of who he is. Because as he is, so are we. So are we. As Paul said and when we first started, if the first fruits are holy, the whole lump is holy. And since the first fruits is the righteousness of Yahweh, we are the righteousness of Yahweh. And the dominion and the power that's placed in him is extended throughout his whole kingdom. So if there is no nation and no kingdom that shall rise against this kingdom, it shall not be defeated because it is the kingdom of Yahweh. And that means the people of this kingdom shall not be defeated because they are the what? The kingdom of Yahweh. We are God's fulfillment in the plan of God. And all that God has in us, has for Christ, has been fulfilled in us. Because Hebrews, I mean, Psalms chapter 8 said all dominion is going to be placed up under this one man, this blessed man that God's all glory and honor. Go to Romans chapter 16. Romans 16. Verse 20. This is Paul giving his closing. Well, he put pack some deep theology in the end of it. it says, in the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So in this closing, he makes reference to those who are the servants of the Lord. We see all things placed under the rule and the dominion of Christ. 
because he's the king, the chosen one of God. But now here, Paul is saying that the God of peace is going to bruise Satan well under our feet. So we're going to have dominion over Satan because we are the continuation and we're in Christ. In Christ, as it is with him, so it is with us. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, we'll just start at verse 20. <clears throat> Are you about the mighty power of God? Said which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world that is to come. And have put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. What is the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So what Paul is picking up on is when Christ was raised, he was elevated to the right hand of God. And God gave him all dominion. The thing that he tried to give to Adam, he gave to Christ. He gave him all dominion, all power. He said above every principality and power, both in this world and in the world that is to come. So he extended this rule in his dominion. Adam was given power. Over all animals and over everything that was upon the earth. And what came into the garden and, and destroyed Adam? A creeping thing. But he had power over all creeping things. But he yielded his power to a creeping thing. Jesus fulfilled the mission. He did not bow. He did not compromise. And he is the true fulfillment of all the promises of Adam. So now all dominion is given to him. And he said he placed all things under his feet. And gave him to be the head of the body, which is what? The church. Have you ever seen a body that has a head, then a space, then a body beneath it? Y'all ever seen a body like that? So if the head is elevated, where is the body? It's elevated. And if all things is placed under the head, where are all things in relation to the body? Under the body. So if the head has all dominion over all principalities, all powers, and all rulers of darkness in this world and in the world to come, what does the body have? All the same thing. So what is it that you cannot defeat? Nothing. Because you are a part of a nation that is destined by God to reign and rule over all things, both physically and spiritually. We are God's people. And this is the fulfillment of God's plan. And God has wrapped this whole story to find this combination with some regular old people way here in his 21st century. He included us in this work that he started some 6,000 years ago with some dust that he breathed on. This is who we are as the nation of God. We are the fulfillment of God's plan and God's promises. And we are the dwelling place of God's presence. And we have the power and dominion of God as a people. Anybody got any questions?